You're listening to The Crunch with Cam Slater. Right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Erica Harvey is a well-known community advocate and business owner in Tauranga. With a background in corporate sales and marketing, Erica has transferred that skill set into community advocacy. And Erica has also been on various community boards and working groups, including with the Tauranga City Council and the Bay of Plenty District Health Board. An American-born New Zealander, Erica has made Tauranga her home for almost 15 years, and now she's standing for Parliament for New Zealand First. She joins me now. Welcome to The Crunch, Erica. Hey, thanks for having me. No problem at all. You're standing in Tauranga Electric for New Zealand First this election? I am. Now, you've got a bit of a profile in that electorate. You're also following on from a former MP of that electorate, uh, being the leader of your own party, Winston Peters. It's a big shoes to fill. It is. It is indeed. But quite a privilege, really. Um, I was in 2020 as well. And in your previous life, you've actually been a councillor for the Tauranga City Council until the commissioners were appointed. Isn't that right? No, it was a lucky break. I ran in that election. Yeah. And I lost um, by a small (laughs) majority. So I guess someone was looking after me. And so then, yeah, everyone else got in, not me. And um, I got to watch as all of that unfolded. And now we absolutely have commissioners in. And um, yeah, it's been an interesting, that was kind of my my first start into politics really was, well, I mean, you might want to ask me that question, but. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. That was your start into politics? You found you liked it? No, not at all. Um, I That's actually... a good answer because we don't <laughs> want people who like politics going into parliament. We want people who yeah. dislike it, get in, do something and go. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's exactly how I found myself here. I was fighting a local issue on behalf of 25 small businesses. Um, I tried to open dialogue with the Tauranga City Council at the time. Uh, it started in around 2016. And coming from a corporate background, I thought it would be quite easy. I mean, it was clear that this um, development project was, uh, needless to say, it was filled with a number of issues. And so I brought those issues to council because if it went ahead, I felt that it would be at a cost to ratepayers. Um, I thought I was in a proper process. Long story short, after about, I don't know, many, many meetings, I would say close to 90, <laughs> I realized that I was just having meetings and I was in this process. And I also couldn't find a complaint policy to understand how to even complain about the process I was in because of the amount of bureaucracy. And I thought we had to hire um, a private consultant. I couldn't get a lawyer to represent us and all of these small businesses. They all said that there was a conflict of interest because it was a city council. And long story short, about five years four or five years into it, I just thought, how much is it to run in an election? (laughs) (laughs) And um, yeah, it was, it was much cheaper than the consultant that I had. So I just signed up and thought, you know what, stuff it all, you know, I'll just, I'll run in an election, see if maybe then they'll listen. And they did. (laughs) Yeah. That's the thing that I've found in politics is you can get it stuck into the cycle and, and it's, it's designed to demoralize you. And the the staff at the councils or or indeed the civil servants, uh, they just like to have meetings. They like to have hui. They like to uh, talk a lot, but do very little. 
And you often need to find a way that you can threaten their jobs or threaten their power or threaten their position. And often, like you've found, standing really sharpens the focus and cuts through all the BS. Yeah. And I learned so much. I mean, I actually even had a, I think like most people when you're not involved in politics and I, and I never really was, I mean, I voted national because, well, I, you know, worked same in as business. Me. And, same as me. That's what you, you know, did. Yeah. I was part of the national party. So I was a, a member of theirs. And when all these issues happened, the first party I went to was the national party. I thought, this development was affecting Tauranga locally. Um, I think it was over $230 million were being pushed out of our local economy. So I went to, at the time, you know, Simon Bridges and and it just, it was clear that um, nobody was really interested and that there were other things at play that were beyond the public's knowledge at that time. Yeah. And um, and that's actually how I found myself walking into New Zealand first. I mean, that's the the whole journey was crazy. It was just me by myself trying to represent all of these businesses who were, you know, fishermen and they weren't, they didn't capture things in emails. They, um, you know, they, so I just thought, Oh, look, I'll help you guys. This will be pretty easy. It's pretty obvious what's wrong. And we also had um, a business there. So, and the reason we started that business was because our daughter had autism. And so I had left my corporate job. And I mean, this entire thing was about to put us out of business. We were about to lose our house that we had just bought. And so you fight really hard. And I think that's when you become interested in politics. Like you only become, from my experience, you become interested in politics when decisions made by other people directly affect your life or someone that you care about. And I think that's also why this election is so important because 2020, 2021 affected everyone's lives differently. Mm. And, um, you know, I just had a baby in May Yeah, <laughs> and I, I wasn't going to run this election and I just said to my husband, the country, <laughs> like, I, there's no way I can sit by the sidelines and not be part of this because we have to take back our country. You know, I'm I'm very worried for it. And even the way that I've seen how government, they don't listen to community. And it is really sad that you have to go way out of your comfort zone and run in a political campaign for then to finally listen and say, oh, wait, wait, wait. And I remember sitting with the deputy mayor at the time who I had emailed and met with, tried to meet with a number of times and had met with. And when I was running for council, I sat down with him with all of these documents that I had done and I showed him, how can this go forward? Like, this is crazy. There was no due diligence. There, there was a memorandum that went out, which actually was untrue. Like, how does this happen? Yeah. And he looked at the thing and he just said, well, you're right. This is pretty bad. You told me about this. Uh, yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, and as I met with them, no one seemed to even remember. And here I was spending four years of my life having all these meetings and nobody even knew who I was. And then the next thing I heard were they were starting to badmouth me and saying, making up all of these crazy lies um, mm. so that nobody would engage in dialogue with me. It was demoralizing. It was it was such a crazy experience that, you know, I guess when you feel like you've got nothing left and we were about to lose our house and everything and I'm seeing it happen over and over, you just sometimes you just have to stand up and you can't really complain unless you're prepared to do something about it. Isn't that a problem in New Zealand society these days where there's a lot of people that go along to get along and they won't say anything? I mean, I'll give you an example. Yeah. Uh, where I live in Takapuna, the other night there was a whole lot of people putting out road cones, 
blocking a main road, uh, I went down and said, look, you know, what are you doing? It's like 10 o'clock at night. It's We can hear it. We're in the apartment building up above. What are you doing? Oh, well, we're putting in a red stripe on the road. What? I said, why? Oh, well, because it's going to be a 30-kilometre-an-hour zone um, when you're heading in towards Takapuna. I said, but who asked for that? I said, oh, right. we don't know, mate. We're just doing it. So two nights they've put out this big red stripe across the road, and then they've let cars drive over it for, for a week, and then they came back the other night and they put the 30-kilometre uh, marking on, on the road. Of course, everyone's ignoring it. Of course. But who decided this was a good idea? Who said that we should take up half of a lane for cycleways? Who decided these things? Uh, cycleways. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it sounds like that's exactly, it's exactly what you've experienced. Something was happening yeah. in, in the council. No one knew how it had come about, and nope. everyone was just letting it happen, except yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it was sad because as I was meeting with people saying, you guys have to start. And and I met so many people who had given up because that's what they do. They waste your time where you mean you have to work. You have a family. You have so many other everybody has Mm. so many other obligations and priorities. I mean, who's got time to keep following up with the council like 95 times and have 95 meetings that do nothing except for put you in a circle and you're watching the entire development that you're trying to talk about continue to be built? It's it's crazy. And then if you do a, a Lagoima request, uh, if it's local body, but an Official Information Act request, or even better is a Privacy Act request and find out what they've been saying about you. Then you, yeah. find, then you find out that there's some pretty scurrilous people that are in working working for us. We pay their rates. We pay the taxes. Say, yep. And do you know what? The minute you ask for that, <laughs> which I encourage people to do, um, it drastically changes the way that they act <laughs> towards you. And I would say it stopped pretty fast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I did that with the police. I did a a Privacy Act request to find out how many police officers had accessed my NIA intelligence file. It came back and it was something like 450 police over oh nine God. nine months had accessed my file. There's no justification for that. You did uh, my privacy all, request game. Yeah. So, <laughs> so like, but but you know what? It stopped. It stopped as soon as I put that request in, and now. Uh, I find that my communications with police are much more convivial because they know that I won't lie down. They know that I'll make a ruckus. They know that I'll make their life a living hell if they keep doing it. And yeah. and that's kind of what I'm hearing that you've been doing. You've been making these council uh, officials take notice. Yeah, exactly. And I just I found the entire process so interesting, I guess I could say, is that we pay council out of our rights and you would think, and they have all these things about engagement, but the engagement process is really like a tick in the box where they'll say, oh, look, we're engaging with the community. Here are three plans. Which one do you like? They, they, love, the thinking, word, they love the word stakeholders though, don't they? Oh, yes, we, they don't yes, say no. we're engaging with the community. We're engaging with engaging stakes, stakeholders. stakeholders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm always thinking like, well, what if there's a fourth? Or how come we didn't co-design this with the community? Or 
you know, I come from like tech and innovation and you mm. the best way you can design anything amazing is to have all sorts of people around that table and help design it. And you get some incredible ideas. You can sit and toy with things. And I think this should be done more in a community. I mean, people are so turned off by politics because they feel that they're not listened to. And I mean, you can look around and see why they feel that way, you know? Yeah. I mean, there was thousands of people at Parliament asking to be listened to, and the politicians all shrugged and said, yeah, nah, not you. I found that so bizarre because, you know, I remember we were sitting here watching it, and I had said to my husband, I'm going to go down there. I, I said, because I've seen it when we ran, and when we ran in that election in 2020, it was so interesting to watch the media and how they covered stories about Winston and New Zealand first. Mm. And you just, you know, we I, we would sit there and be like, we would have an amazing meeting. And I'll go, there's no way the media could manipulate this meeting. We would watch the news and they would focus on some guy with a potato that <laughs> said something random. And that was the headline. It wasn't yeah. the policies we were talking about. It wasn't the people. That's all it was. This man with, you know, whatever. Um, so people don't actually get a true reflection. So as I was watching the news, you know, I had said to my husband, this whole thing, uh, and I don't mind what people do. You know what I mean? Like, mm. and I mean that in every sense of the word, I don't care what people do in their bedrooms. I don't care what people put in their bodies. But what I do care about is people being able to have a choice mm. and actually people being listened to. Yep. And you know what? There's so many people I don't agree with, but I tell you what, I'll sit around the table and I'll hear them out. And a lot of times, almost nine times out of 10, I'll actually learn something from that conversation that I didn't know before. And so I think there's a lot of power in that. So I went down there and had, and I remember sitting in the Kamatua tent and I was chatting with them mm. and I was trying to see if I could somehow help dialogue yeah. uh, happen because I knew, you know, I had some friends that worked in parliament and I was, you know, and, and I was getting messages from people I knew that said, we really want to talk, but we're not allowed, <laughs> you know, and I just thought this is crazy. And it was so you know, I tell you what, I actually really enjoyed it down there. It was yeah. the one time I have felt, and in, in, especially in the past few years, as we've seen all of the co-governance and all of these racist and separatist type, you know, policies be pushed through on those grounds during that time, it didn't matter where you come yeah. from, where you lived, what you believed, if you were vaccinated, if you weren't vaccinated, everyone was just there just enjoying being together because we weren't allowed to do that. And, um, and it was, I actually, it's one of the things I'm so happy that I went down to. And, you know, when Winston came down and, you know, we were there walking through the crowds and stuff. I mean, they can say what they want for the reasons that he was there, but he was truly there. And I can say that because I had spent four days down there because we recognized that what happens to us in the media was what was happening down there. And he was so angry that nobody was going down to listen to them. And so even though we weren't in parliament and didn't have any power at that time mm. um, or influence, you know, he went down. And I actually, I really respect him for that. And we heard so many stories down there of people who had been injured. And, you know, it just, it took me back to those times of the council where you have this huge issue and no one's listening. And then people just start making up things and, you know, you become like the, the brunt of a joke, you know, yeah. it's, it's unfair. You know? no, totally unfair. The thing that impressed me about when Winston went to the protest was that the media were hounding him uh, through the walkthrough. 
And he kept saying to them, I'm not talking to you. I'm here to listen to these people. Yeah. He, did, he didn't stand on a stage and, and grandstand. He didn't uh, make a speech. He didn't do any of that. He just walked, talked, and listened. And that's all that those people wanted to hear. That's what they wanted. I mean, I went down there for a few days as well. Yeah. And the thing that I saw was in stark contrast to what the media had told us. Sure, there was a whole lot of people living there in tents and things like that, but there wasn't a speck of rubbish on the ground. No. There wasn't any violence. No. Nope. If anybody was doing something silly, there'd be four or five people that would say, you know, you need to dial that back a bit. Or they'd say, if you dropped a piece of rubbish, they'd say, oh, mate, could you pick that up? There's some bins over there. There were people yeah. that were organizing and doing things out of the goodness of their heart. And yeah. the media sat up there in the parliament buildings and the politicians sat with the media and smeared and defamed and ridiculed people who were desperate. They had lost their jobs, their families, uh, their careers, their businesses, and yeah. these people were laughing. You know, And then you had Michael Wood say that it was a river of filth. You know? Oh, and how dare the prime minister say that there was a choice? How is it the choice to say you do this or you lose your home and you can't feed your family? That is not a choice. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's coercion. That's I mean, this this will go down in history as one of the moments that I think everyone will hope we never, ever see again. And that's why I think we have to have new representation in government. I mean, mm. really, you have to like to have a one source of truth. Since when is it not OK to hear all sides of something? That's actually when you make bad decisions is when you if I sat in a room with a bunch of people just like me, it would be a great conversation because I would agree with everything. Yeah. But I tell you what, it wouldn't be as amazing if I sat down with four other people who were very different to me to actually go, well, what if this and what if that and to push and ask questions? I mean. That's actually what a, I believe makes a true democracy is actually trying to understand all points of views. And you're not always going to agree, but to sit down and actually come up with some sort of dialogue or some sort of solution that is representative of, you know, and you might not get everything you want, you know. No, you, but can, never you, get to, every, you can never get everything you want. But if, you, if you're not talking and listening, you yeah. know, and look, I, I've, I've come up through sales, so you were probably taught the same thing I was. You've got two ears and one mouth, and that's the ratio God intended them to be used. Exactly. <laughs> you <know>? Exactly. <laughs> no sales rep ever gets anywhere if they don't listen to the, what their client or what their customer or potential customer wants and meeting those needs. And politicians are no different. And, you know, that's one of the things that, that I used to say to politicians. They'd come to me and they'd say, um, you know, I need some training to be a politician. I said, well, can you sell? Yeah, <laughs> and they go, uh, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well, have you ever sold anything? Have you done sales?" No, right. Well, I suggest you go listen to Brian Tracy. Go and listen to Brian Tracy's um, courses that he's got. It's, it's very cost-effective, very effective. But if you listen to those, then you'll have everything that you need to know to be an effective politician. Yeah, and, and do you know how many of them have done that? Uh, not, zero. Not one. Yeah. Yeah. Not one. <laughs> Do you know what was interesting is um, when I was representing the, these, this marine industry, I don't actually have a marine background, right? Mm. But I was sitting in these meetings and people, I think, thought that I 
like worked in the marine industry my whole life. But all I was saying was taking what I was listening to all of these other people say of why everything was dangerous and recommunicating it in a way that people who make decisions can understand. And that to me is what a politician is really. And, you know, I would have said it at the time I was an advocate um, because that's what I was. But I think a good politician is a good advocate and you should be able to listen, take in information and then figure out how you have to re, you know, resell, I guess, Mm. that to the people you need to so that they understand the impacts of the decisions being made. Why isn't that happening? (laughs) Well, exactly. I mean, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I think politicians should be more facilitators. Unfortunately, they've become more like dictators. Yeah. Uh, You know, uh, it's their way or the highway. There may be common ground on any issue. And, you know, I was talking to Chris Trotter and Matt McCartan. They're people that are not from my side of politics. Uh, But I talk to them because sometimes they have good ideas. And sometimes my good ideas, they'll pick up as well. But we can only do this if we keep the discourse. And I see that the, the major problem that we have in New Zealand politics today is polarization and the inability to talk. You know, Winston comes out and says, you know, Maori aren't indigenous. A statement of fact, basically, uh, their own oral history says that. And all of a sudden we have the media shrieking that he's racist. The guy's Maori. Did they not notice that he's Maori? And he's he's delivered so many amazing initiatives to Maori, you know? But the other thing is he's had that position forever. As long as I've known him and he's been in politics, you know, for 40 odd years, he's had that position. Why was this suddenly a surprise? I I, I mean, I just don't get it. I feel like with Winston, he's had the same, he's been the same. And then you're oh oh my God. And it's like, what? (laughs) We said this last year. (laughs) We said this the year before that. (laughs) This is actually, and I think the interesting thing that's come up to me at the moment is around people confusing. Actually, one of the most dangerous things we have right now, I believe in politics, is that we are voting based on people or based on almost like, it's almost like gang colors. Like, you know, you vote blue, you Mm -hmm. go blue, you vote red, you go red. And you'll hear people say, we only have two choices, blue or red, but we don't. The only reason we have two choices is because nobody opens up their mind to go, actually, we're tired of the two choices. We actually need more choice. You know, because I do believe that we need to bring different types of parties into this political landscape because you, you know, you start to just hear yourself. And I think there's so many great ideas out there and so many different people who can add a lot of value to politics. I would I would really encourage people to, you know, expand their mind and read policies. I mean, some of the for example, you know, depending on how you feel about selling off New Zealand's assets, Mm. I mean. People should probably read act policies. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of things going up for sale. <laughs> That's um, right. You know, but nobody seems, I said that to someone today, like, oh, what? Well, no, he's against co-governance. I was like, well, so are we. <laughs> Do you know? It's in it's in the fine details of the policies that we're putting through. Um, some people say, what's the difference between, you know, you and them? And the difference is, read our policies. We're very different parties. Do yeah. you know what I mean? I mean that's and that's the thing, you know. I've I've been talking to Winston for years and years and years, when he was in the National Party, uh, and when he's later in New Zealand First. 
Mm. And, you know, we've had our differences in the past. You know, I I've, I wrote some terrible things about him in the past, but Winston just shrugs and laughs and says, well, that's just politics. Mm. But you're right. There used to be a time when politics and political parties issued manifestos. Yeah. And in those manifestos, that was what they stood for. Now they don't issue manifestos. They make bold promises. The media doesn't actually dig into them very far at all. Uh, and in a few New Zealand First or or even some of the Freedom Parties, the media don't even report anything that you've got to say because for them, I think they just like the status quo of swapping between red and blue. But in reality, both of those parties have got a tissue-thin difference between the two of them. It's just, yeah. a, it's just a method of execution that's different. They are different sides of the same coin. And if we keep flipping that coin, we're going to keep getting the same stuff. Yeah. And that's, that's why I want to see some of these minor parties uh, start to do well in the electorate. I want to see a weakened major party. I want to see either the Labour Party or the National Party weakened and have to rely on a, a larger, say, New Zealand First or ACT in this election um, in coming years, maybe a, a stronger Green Party. Who knows, right? But yeah. But we need to start listening to the smaller parties and stop flip-flopping from blue to red and back again because what have we got from that? They say red and blue, nothing new. <laughs> <laughs> I keep hearing that. <laughs> and, you know, the other thing I found confusing, so I so obviously ran in that local body election, um, missed a little bit, and then was obviously approached by New Zealand First to run in Turang in 2020. And now in that campaign, the... The craziest part was when you go up to debate and you're debating someone in the coalition you were just in yeah. because most people, and, and that's because people don't have time to pay attention to politics, right? Um, to So we stand up and now we've just, like we had a successful, you know, coalition government 2017 to 2020. Yeah. Now we're campaigning in 2020 and everyone is so confused at whose policies are what, because both myself and labor are saying the same wins. We're both talking about the same wins and people assume because the labor party is bigger that a lot of these policies were labors, mm. but they were ours. And so I think that's also a factor is that we need to be able to educate the public and maybe it's color coding. So maybe it's that at the end of each coalition, you've got color coded things. People go, Oh, that was a New Zealand first policy. Oh, you know, and then they can understand actually whose policies are what, because people mm. get confused. The other thing is that the wasted vote conversation, how many people do not understand that concept? And oh, that it's a huge number. I mean, we've, we've been trying to educate people about this at, at Reality Check Radio, and you can talk to your blue in the face on the facts of how wasted votes work, right? Yeah. But they'll still argue with you and say, well, that's not fair. Well, well, those are the rules. They've been the rules for 30 years. Every election, there's parties that don't make it into parliament and yeah. the seats that they that they might have won if they had won an electorate seat or if they'd meet the 5% threshold, they get reallocated to the winning parties. And that's anyone who got over 5%. And, you know, in 2020, that meant that Labour got five extra seats, National got two extra seats. New Zealand First uh, didn't get any. The Greens and the Maori Party ended up with one extra themselves. 
Yeah. Is that right. what you is that what you intended when you voted for that small party that didn't make the threshold? Because I bet it's not. Exactly. And I'm looking at minority parties right now who are trying to still persuade people to vote for their party, even though they don't even have enough candidates, even if they got over 5%. I mean, that's just actually manipulating the public to a wasted vote. That's actually going to go against exactly what they are voting for. You know, which is what I've been saying. You need to pick a party that looks like they're going to make it. And, you know, and I've spoken to. I'll tell you what, we're going to make it, Cam. I can see that. Right? I already know that. I've been watching politics all my life and I can tell. So what's we, your, what's your, let's, let's take a wage. What do you think we're going to hit? What, what's your guess? I think, uh, I think that New Zealand First is going to surprise a few people. Yeah. And, and I'm picking somewhere between eight and 11%. I'm going to go. At 8%, you're in parliament. Well, then we better get at least eight. <laughs> at 9%, Kirsten Murphy makes it to Parliament. That's true. I'd like right. to get 13%. Yeah. We had, so the biggest, when I was looking back at um, New Zealand first, we've, you know, we've hit 13% before. Yeah, 1996. Yeah, that's my goal. I'd like to see us hit over 13%. I'd like to have this be the best election we have ever had. And I'd like Winston to make one heck of a comeback. Well, you know, re reality is, you know, everyone criticizes Winston Peterson. He'd say he never delivers anything. Just name, I had one person on my website say, name one thing that Winston Peters has ever delivered. You could name and a I, bunch. I, I, I said, oh, only one. Awesome. I'll win that bet. <laughs> Super gold card. Yeah. Bam. Exactly. That's it, right? But then, you know, I watched the debate on Tuesday night with Chris Hipkins and, uh, and Christopher Luxon, and there was Hipkins claiming, that the 1800 new police was a Labour uh, win, you know, and everyone knows that it was Winston New Zealand that forced first. that through. Exactly. You know, New Zealand first put that yep. through. But there, there was Chris Hipkins saying that our streets are safer because of the 1800. But then in the next breath, we hear that for every nine police officers, there's 10 gang members, right? So, yep. so, so 1800 was a good start. And we, we probably need to add, actually add something like, 3,000 police. You know? I agree. Absolutely. And, you know, so where I, so in Tauranga, we've had, the crime has gone crazy, as it has everywhere. You've got ram raids. The crime we're seeing here has been so, I don't even know the word for it because it's actually terrifying because they're coming into our homes while we are home and asleep. And I won't say how they're doing it, but we've we've figured it out because I wound up having a community meeting after all these break-ins were happening and police weren't able to come and take any reports because they were so short-staffed that um, me and another woman in my in my um, neighborhood who I'd never met, I just read her story on like a, a Facebook group about how she was watching Stranger Things on her bed and with her head, um, her ear pods in. And a man with a flashlight on his head was coming down the hallway. Could you imagine this right now? You're watching Stranger Things and there's a headlamp in your hallway. And it's middle of the night in a rainstorm. So she winds up, obviously, there's a man, he's broken into her house, he acts, you know, confused. Um, and so I was like, this is crazy. So since I had run in that um, elections before, I thought, well, why don't we just hold a public meeting? Because this is getting out of hand. Mm. We put together this public meeting and the stories that were coming from people in my neighborhood. And I never heard about any of this in the media. Mm. 
were terrifying. An old woman was saying she was probably in her 80s, went to sleep with her phone by her bed, woke up and her phone was gone. And then she found out she'd been robbed. She was asleep. Like, how terrifying is that? So anyway, I started a WhatsApp chat um, and it just kind of happened organically. I just thought maybe we'll just get it kind of got connected and it's grown. And I actually think right now with the issues that we're facing, I was saying to someone else, we wait for government to do a lot of things. But do you know what else? We actually have to start moving communities to start solving some of these problems, too. We don't have time to wait. (laughs) You know, and we've seen that in other types of issues as well. You can you could be waiting forever. The only way we can really start to help one another and really start to fix this country. It's going to be an all hands on deck approach. I mean, we all have to be working towards something, not just politicians, not just community. We have to be doing it together. And there's some really good solutions that we can come up with, you know, just like, just like that. I mean, we've seen the um, crime still happening, obviously, but now we're all connected. I mean, someone's home alone and hears something, they'll just message in that chat group and you've got about 50 people that will come and just make sure you're okay, you know? You know, that, that, that works. You know, I've got a lot of friends in the rural communities and, you know, down Raglan, Coffee away. They know that if they call the police for something, could be somebody poaching, so it could be somebody stealing a sheep, whatever. They know that the police either won't come yeah. Or it'll take them over an hour to get there. And on some of these back roads, there's one way in and one way out. And they do exactly the same thing. They've got WhatsApp. Yeah. They message. They go, hey, has anybody seen that car that's on the on the road at the moment driving slowly? They go, no, don't recognize it. It's no one I know. All of a sudden, you've got farmers going out with their front-end loaders on their tractors. <laughs> they move, they're moving a log across the road at various different parts, and then they go and confront the person and say, you know, you need Why to move Why don't you bring on. that sheet back? Yeah. <laughs> you know, farmers are generous people. One of the guys I go hunting on his land, he said, you know, I had somebody come up, and they just looked, you know, a little bit shifty, driving slowly past the paddocks, and I stopped them, and I said, are you guys okay? And they said, oh. Oh, you know, we're a bit hungry in that. And he says, well, are you looking for meat? And he said, yes. Yeah. Well, just ask. Yeah. Do you have any meat? He says, yeah, I actually just killed an old you this yeah. morning. It's hanging in the chiller. Drive your station wagon down. You can have it. Absolutely. You know, and com- that that's that community spirit that's being built. But, you know, in the cities and things like that, it's far worse than that. You, you're almost afraid to go and talk to your neighbours because yeah. you don't know if they're on meth. You don't know if, you know, they're going to whack you. Um, yeah. yeah. Just the other day I had the first time ever in my entire life, uh, my car has had the entire side of it keyed by somebody. And I can't work wow. out where it was. Like I hardly ever use it. I was at the supermarket or I was at church or I was at, at a, a shopping center, but somebody's just run a key down the side of the car. It's oh, just God. insane. It's, you know, and I'm sitting there thinking, seriously? Like, like the destruction of property is is also just heightened as well. Like I was looking at um, I think it was a story about a, a rental and people have just totally destroyed it. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, that's a crime. Why why are they I mean, to me, they should actually be charged for that. I mean, that's not happening either. I mean, I just feel like we're if we're dealing with so many I mean, look, 15 years ago, you could have turned on the news 
And the stories that have been about like a happy sheep or a cow or, you know, some cute dog stories. Oh, there was, there was about shriek stabbing. The Remember Shriek the Sheep, you know, the, yes. the, the one yes, that had exactly. been 10 years of not being clipped. Yes. I mean, when's the last time you saw a story like that on the news? No, it's all ram raids, violence, you know, Sad. out of control. You know, we had the case the other day where Todd Scott, you know, the editor of or the owner of NBR, Mm. Uh, tries to make a citizen's arrest and the police tell him to let the guy go. You can't do that. Yeah. You know, like it's insane. Yeah. It's, how is that normal in society now where the police are on the side of the criminals? Exactly. I mean, and then you think about, you know, growing up, we had these rules. Like obviously when I grew up, you could spank and do different things that you obviously can't do now. Um, yeah, but there are always consequences for an action. And now, we don't have many consequences and all you're seeing is a bunch of action and, you know, we've got to figure out a way to get a hold of it. I mean, this is the, the at the pace that people and communities are changing and at the rate that we're starting to become more and more divided. I actually have a huge fear that this is going to only escalate and get worse. And the more that people try to in, inflame situations, we've actually just got to come together and figure out you know, what are we going to do today? I understand that there's ways that we can, you know, nurture people in, in the very beginning and support them, but we have issues right now. So right mm. now, that's what we've got to focus on. You know, it's all good to have these like visions and all these solutions that will take, you know, 50 years to implement, but you know what, we're all going to be dead. <laughs> you know, We've actually got to figure out what can we do today? What are we going to do in our first hundred days? What is this going to look like? How can we come up with proper solutions and how can we deliver on them? And how can we stop all this crazy division? It's I mean, it's insane. You know, you get the situation with Posey Parker, for example, coming to want to speak to maybe a hundred people in a park. Yeah. And 300 people, mostly men, turn up yep. to shout her down, to assault her, to assault her supporters. Yep. Because she doesn't believe that men are women. I know. <laughs> and then and then Winston says exactly that. We're not having men going into women's bathrooms. It's crazy talk. Basically, he's saying it's crazy talk. The number of people that this affects is tiny and infinitesimal. We've got much bigger problems. Yeah. And the media howls them down and says that this is awful. Yeah. And they're like, we've got much bigger problems. And he's like, exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know? Yeah. So you're having fun on the, on the campaign trail this year. You know, I, um, it is very different this year. Yeah. Um, I feel like, um, you know, it's actually, this, this campaign has been a bit sad in a way because everyone that I meet or that come to the meetings that I'm having, they're just, they're sad and they, and they do feel like they've lost the country that they have grown up and loved forever. You know, like we're so different now. So I, I feel like it's a bit different. Um, the best part about it though, is that I feel like there's this huge surge of support for New Zealand first. And I just, that makes me quite excited because I think there's a huge power in having a center party. And also as you, as you would know, it's also a very hard game because you can go with either party and either mm. way you go and you're a center, you're going to make the other half angry. Yeah. But if people understood the true power of the center, I mean, I think more people would, would, are actually 
probably New Zealand first supporters, to be fair. They just don't know it yet. Um, <laughs> and so that's probably a lot of what the campaign is, yeah, yeah. is trying to show people, well, actually, you don't have to be blue or red. You know, there's another one that's black and you can still take care of your healthcare services and look after business. You know, you don't actually have to do one or the other. There's a great way to balance policy. And that's where I think the power is with New Zealand first, you know, and everyone I hear complain about New Zealand first, I always ask, did you vote for us? The yeah, answer the is always no. no. Yeah. The pe- <laughs> so, that's that's I mean- what I've said, you know, pe- <laughs> the people who complain the loudest and the longest about Winston Peters and New Zealand first didn't, even, never, vote didn't even vote for them. They voted they, for they, National. So they voted or for they National. went to Labour. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're just blaming us because they, well, I feel, because they just don't want to come to terms that they stuffed up. <laughs> well, they don't, they don't understand how MMP works, I think, generally. But, you know, that's a, a major issue that we're going to have to deal with. You know. mm, but you're going to do with that deal that day. Well, that's what Reality Cheat Radio is all about. Keep up with the good work, Cam. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's been wonderful talking to you. And you've certainly given me a nice perspective on maintaining that discourse. And it's very refreshing to talk to candidates that are actually willing to discuss openly the issues that we've got in society and how we can set about fixing those. Yeah. Hey, thanks. I was really flattered to be invited. So thanks so much for having me. Thank you, Erica. No problem. All right. Take care. What I find amazing is how so many candidates feel compelled to stand in this most important of elections. And I love talking to all these candidates. Erica has a real chance, along with the other three freedom candidates, of getting into parliament. If New Zealand first get 8%, Erica is there. At 9%, Kirsten Murphy will join her. And at 10%, you can add Lee Donahue to the list. Tell me your thoughts on what Erica had to say by emailing inbox at realitycheck.radio or text to 2057. This is The Crunch with Cam Slater. Conversations with a side of controversy right here on RCR.